thank you so much for this time that we can spend together. God, we ask that you prepare our hearts. And God, we're thankful that we can be in this place this morning. I'm thankful personally that I can get up here and preach from my heart and not worry about what, I, what I'm going to say or not say based upon what someone might think or that there might be a government that will censor me from my speech. And the reason I have that right is because people have served this country and they have fought for this country. They've sacrificed for this country. And so, Father, we are personally grateful this morning to be here at Grace Chapel, being able to, to share in your word our lives transformed. And we are truly thankful for those who have sacrificed to give us the privilege to do that. We love them. We love you and we praise you in Jesus precious and holy name. Amen. OK, so uh, a couple months ago. We were we were here together and Daniel from Nigeria came up and he kind of gave us an update on what was going on and some of the things that we would want to do. And and so he started talking about a pig farm in Nigeria. And, you know, we have an economic zone that we're building there in order to impact people's lives. And so I wanted to give you he sent me some pictures and I wanted to give you an update on that pig farm. There it is. The money that you sent, we have enough for a hundred pigs, and that's where some of them are going to be staying. And we're able to drill another borehole there for for water. We need that desperately there. Um, that's on our our sixty or seventy acre campus that we have here. That's where some of the pigs will be staying. The goal is to have a hundred piglets to start, and then as time goes on, those piglets get larger. We we begin to develop uh, our our ministry, our our business tree there, and we just expand and hopefully have a thousand pigs. And the goal is to have a pig co-op. And what I mean by that is that we're going to be giving pigs to people within the community, within the Kissyup Village, where they can raise a couple of pigs on their own. We'll train them, we'll give them the pigs, and then we'll keep rotating the pigs in so they can begin to make money as well. The way we've done this is we've hired two entrepreneurs. These are guys who have already been successful in this area. One of the goals that we have now, a couple, about a couple years ago, I asked the Lord, okay, Lord, this is really difficult to do around the world. So give us some, give us some good insight. And God gave me the parable of the talents. He basically said in my heart, listen, if someone can do this on a small scale, then take them and give them more. Just expand their horizons, right? Give them more opportunity. So that's what we've done. We've done it with Julie and she's all the crops that she's growing and the farmers around there giving them fertilizer and they're doing a tremendous job. And so now we're going to start this pig farm. We're going to get the pigs pretty soon and we'll start generating income from that that will help fund back to back in Nigeria. The goal here, the goal here is to build an economic zone that will generate so much money for the people that are actually there on the ground who are living, but also for the ministry that's going on through back to back. Our goal is to completely fund that ministry through business tree and the economic zone that we have. And God is doing a tremendous, tremendous job. A couple of years ago, actually about 15 or 16 years ago, when I came to Nigeria, I got up and I said, listen, we're going to do, here's what we're going to do. And here's how we're going to do it. And this is just a fact waiting to happen. We will be able to accomplish this. But I'm going to tell you over the last few years, over the the 16 or 17 years we've been together, this has been a challenge going into another country where where you're constantly being. You have to be careful that people won't take advantage of you. So many things have happened. There's so many things that have been up and down. It's like a roller coaster ride of emotions. But we have consistently stayed with 
with it. And now we are really beginning to see tremendous success in the vision that we had for that area. Here's the reality. Starting a journey, which we're all on in this series, we're, we're on this journey. Starting a journey is one thing. Staying with it when things get difficult will determine your success or your failure. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about a site in another country. I am sure we're going to run into problems with this whole pig operation. I'm sure we are. Our success or our, or our failure will be determined if we are willing to stick with it. If we are willing to plow through when the enemy comes and tries to stand in our way, are we going to be resilient? Are we going to continue to march forward this morning? We're going to continue our series. How big is your God? And what I'd like to do is I want to look at the children of Israel and the things that they have got, what they're going through, what they have been through. The choices they have made. And I'd like to, to look at those choices as we go through this series and then apply those to our lives. The good and the bad. What can we learn from the children of Israel as they move from bondage to the promised land? What can we glean from them about our own journey? God wants to take us to the place where we are right now. Okay, remember we talked about setting goals. You need to set a goal or a couple of goals. What is it that where are you now in your spiritual life? Where does God want you to be? Where do you want to be? And then how are you going to move from where you are to from bondage to the promised land? It's a journey that we're all on together. And it's a journey that is going to take determination. The goal, our goal, my goal is to really try to gather as much as much information, gather some themes from their journey that we can then apply to our lives. So we talked about Joseph already. We talked about how did they get to Egypt in the first place? I'm not going to go through the whole thing. We talked about the life of Joseph and Joseph leads us to the place where we are now. Now we're in the book of, of Exodus and in Exodus chapter one, verses six, six through nine. It kind of lays the foundation. It says now Joseph and all of his brothers, all that generation died. But the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. Then a new king who did not know Joseph came into power in Egypt Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become too much too numerous for us. And so he begins to be he's concerned. He's got this tremendous concern that there's so many of them that they're going to maybe, uh, you know, align with their enemies. And man, you have an enemy from within, which it didn't have. He did not have an enemy from within, but that was his mindset. He was concerned about there were so many of them. So he said the, the, what we need to do, what we need to do is we need to enslave them. This was a, a pharaoh who did not know about Joseph. And so he said, too many of these Israelites, we need to enslave them. And in verse 11, it basically said that they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. This was this was very, very became very, very difficult. In Exodus chapter one, verses 12 through 14, it continues. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and work them ruthlessly. 
They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. And then so Pharaoh tells the midwives, the, the, the midwives of Jewish midwives, that what, you, what I want you to do is I want you to kill all the male born of the Hebrews. So as they're, as they're being born, when they're born, figure out, boom, kill them. The midwives decide, you know what, we're not going to listen to the king. We're going to listen and submit to God so they don't do that. But then in chapter 1, this is what Pharaoh does. This is what Pharaoh says in, in 22. Then Pharaoh gave this order to his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. During that time then, he gives that edict, if you will. During that time, Moses is born. So Moses' mother does not want to lose her son, so she hides him for three months. She keeps him hidden. Once she can no longer keep him hidden, she puts him in a basket and she puts him in the Nile among the reeds. Okay, hidden in the reeds. Pharaoh's daughter comes down to bathe and she hears the crying of the baby. She sends her servant over. The servant takes the basket out of the water and there it is, a little baby. So Pharaoh's daughter says, oh, she felt she felt sorry for the baby. So she took the baby as her own and she said to her servant, go find a Hebrew woman who can nurse this baby. So they go and find, guess who? Right, Moses' mother. Okay, again, remember Joseph, the providence of God. Remember how he said Joseph is a foreshadowing of the coming of the Messiah and, and it was woven all the way through. God's providence is not finished here. So they go to find a Hebrew woman to nurse the baby Moses and they end up with Moses' mother. And you know the rest of the story. Moses then grows up. Right in Pharaoh's home, he grows up among royalty. One day he's out and he sees his own people, the Hebrews, being mistreated. And one specific uh, Egyptian is beating a, uh, a Jew, a Hebrew. And so Moses looks around, doesn't see anybody, runs over, kills the Egyptian and buries his body in the sand. Pharaoh then finds out what Moses did and Pharaoh wants to kill Moses and Moses flees to Midian. So Moses is now gone. He's, he's kind of in exile, if you will. The, the, the Hebrews are, the people of God are basically overwhelmed. They've been in captivity now for, I mean, they've been there for 400 years. Our country's not even that old. That's how long they've been there. And they start crying out to God and saying, God, please help us. I mean, the, the, the oppression now is becoming overwhelming. Now this new Pharaoh has taken over. He's got them in forced labor. He's making them do the most difficult things and they're being overwhelmed. They start crying out to God. And God then calls Moses to, to free his people, to set his people free. Moses then comes back to Egypt goes before Pharaoh and the battle before Moses, the battle between Moses and Pharaoh begins. Moses then starts doing these miraculous things through God's power. Moses starts doing all these miracles, but Pharaoh hardens his heart. He's not going to let the people go. And then you have the 10 plagues and the plagues start out. But Pharaoh continues to harden his heart. He's not going to let the people go. But after a while, those plagues begin to wear on him. They get worse and worse. And at one point, Pharaoh's just like, OK, just get out of here. Leave. Just take your people and go. They can't take it anymore. The things that were happening were overwhelming. So they said, just take your people. We want you to go. 
So the, they, they, the, 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 the people of God get all their things together. They, they leave Egypt. And then Pharaoh and his kind of cohorts realize, wait a second, we just lost all of our forced labor. I mean, this was our, this was our labor pool for our country. And we can't really get things done and accomplish what we want to get accomplished. So they say, well, they changed our mind. God, their heart, hearts are hardened again. And they go and they go after the children of Israel. Okay, so now, okay, now, (laughs) now the journey truly begins for us. Okay, now the journey truly begins. Now you really need to start asking yourself, how big is my God? Because here comes Pharaoh. Okay, you're on your journey and you've got you've got to start asking that question. How big is my God? Because here comes the enemy. Here comes the enemy standing before you. You need to begin to ask those those questions. You've set your goals, right? You set your goals. You're you are on your way. But now the battle now the battle truly begins in your life. Because now you said, this is where I am. This is where I'd like to be. The enemy knows that. So now the enemy's coming. We cannot allow those people at Grace Chapel to get too excited about what Greer's talking about. Can't, we can't let this happen. And so now the battle individually and corporately truly begins. Okay? Here comes Pharaoh. Here he comes. The enemy is going to try to stop you, going to try to stop me. You will need, here's what's going to happen. You will have to face your fears. If you're saying, I want to move from, I'm in bondage to this, 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 whatever it is, this personality flaw. I have this sin in my life. I have this habit that I'm continuing to struggle with. If you want to move from bondage to the promised land, to where God can use you in such a powerful way, you have to realize you're going to have to face your fears. You're going to have to face your enemy. You're going to have to face your past. You're going to have to face your giants, those giants that stand in your way and have blocked you for years from doing what God has called you to do. You are now, if you're truly going to follow this journey through with this journey, here it comes. Here it comes. If you want to enter the promised land, if you want to fulfill the goals that God has called you to, if you want to become the person that God has designed and created you to be, then here comes the battle. Nothing is accomplished without a battle. Nothing significant in this world will be accomplished without some type of spiritual battle. So they face their first big challenge in Exodus chapter 14 and verse 10. It says this, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and they cried out to the Lord. And they stood their ground because they had watched what God had done in the past. And they were like, yeah, he's going to do it again. Not. okay. that's not what happened. Verses 11 and 12 says this. They said to Moses, was it because here, let me kind of back up a little bit. So the so Pharaoh is coming and they're they're basically overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed. And so they start to cry out to Moses instead of instead of saying, well, God brought us to this point and God had this pillar of fire and God had this pillar of smoke and God did all these kinds of amazing things. All of a sudden, when the challenge comes, when the difficulty comes, they say this. Was it was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? 
What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in this desert. They start to the the, the first opportunity that God gives them to hold and stand strong. It's whose stupid idea was this in the first place? Whose idea was this? Why would we why would we even think about taking this journey? I should just stay. I should just stay safe. You're thinking maybe the enemy is going to be telling you, why are you even attempting this? You've attempted it before. And you remember what happened? Better for you just to stay in bondage. It's safer in bondage. Okay, stay where you are. People do not listen to him. Don't listen to the word of God. Stay where you are. It's much safer there. Whose stupid idea is this to go into this series anyway and rile all these people up? You're not gonna, it's not going to work. And I'm going to kind of pound you. So you might as well just deal with the reality of where you are and stay right there. And that's exactly what the Israelites were feeling. But God protects them. He opens up the sea. Okay, there's you. There's you. Okay, there's you. He opens up the sea. He splits the sea so we can walk right through it. So they walk right through and they get to the other side. When they get to the other side, he allows the Egyptians to go. The Egyptians go. They start chasing after the Israelites. And when they're in the middle there, all of a sudden the walls of the water close and it destroys Pharaoh's army. In Exodus 14:31, we read this. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. And it stayed that way for the rest of the journey. Have a good week. I'll see you guys later. Not a chance, right? Not a chance. They had seen this miraculous thing, but you know what? There's more to there's more to this story. So now I want to jump. We're going to be jumping around here throughout the next couple of weeks. I want to jump forward in this story. I want to leap forward in this story. And I want to read to you. I'm going to I'm going to read through Numbers 13, 26 through 14 and, ver, and, and verse 10. So Numbers 13, 26 through Numbers 14, 10. Okay. Over the next few weeks, here's here's what I here's what I'd like to do. I want us to pick out certain principles, certain themes that we can use for our own journey. What can we learn? What can we learn from the children of Israel? So I'm going to pick out certain themes. And this morning, the theme that I want us to to really focus on is belief. Having a strong belief in God, trusting God, having a strong belief in the God who calls us to fulfill our purpose. So in Numbers chapter 13, 26 through 14, 10, it says this. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the, in the desert of Paran. This is the 10 spies. He sends out the spies and 12 spies. He sends out the spies and they they there they report to them. And to the whole assembly and show them the fruit of the land, the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. This is the this is the other spies that are talking. We saw the descendants of Anak there. OK, listen, 
You are going through this journey. We are going through this journey together. If you attempt to go on this journey, you are going to face the giants in your life. You are going to face the fears of the past. You're going to. They're going to be there in your way. Guaranteed. For every single one of us here, it is guaranteed the descendants of Anak will be there. Okay, it says the Amalekites live in the Negev and the Hittites. And these are all these peoples, these terrifying peoples. The Jebusites and the Amorites live in the hill country and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb, after he's done listening to these people, whine. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devour those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. Again, there will be giants in your path. Whatever they are for you, they're different for every single one of us. We have childhood memories. We have abuses from childhood. We have things that went on in our adult lives where Satan has woven into the fabric of our being lies that keep us in bondage. And there they are. The giants are there. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. We felt like grasshoppers. These people are the, the, the power of the enemy is so overwhelming. It, it's like it's foolish to even go on this journey. It is foolish to even try it. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, if only listen to what they say, if only we would have died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord, now they're blaming him, bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? That's the question that's going to come up in your mind. When the, when the giants start yelling, when the enemy is in your face, you're going to be wondering what... You're going to say, it was Jeff Greer's stupid idea to even come up with this journey idea of coming from bondage to, uh, uh, why don't we should have just, let's just give up now, right? Let's just give up now. Let's just give up now. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through is and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land. God is always with us. Remember that. Remember that from Joseph. God was always with him. It doesn't say that. I'm just throwing it out. A land flowing with milk and honey. And we will we and 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 will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. The giants are coming. They're going to be there. They're going to, they're prepared to stand in your way. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. 
Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. Numbers chapter 14, verses 20 through 23. The Lord replied, I have, get, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live, as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. That cannot happen in our lives. If you continue to say, let me die in the desert, let me die in the desert, let me die in the desert, let me die, I give up, I give up, I give up. Whose fault is this? God, why? After a while, sometimes God confirms your own decision. He did it with, he did it with Pharaoh. God will confirm your decision. We cannot fall into this category. Verses 28 and 29, so, so tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you, listen, right, this is what I just said, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was, was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. See, I believe this passage speaks to us about a lack of faith and a lack of vision. A lack of belief. And a lack of vision of where God wants you to be. What God has for your life. If you're going to be a people that are seeking after God, we need to live with purpose. We need to have a powerful belief in the God that we serve. You have to ask yourself the question all along this journey. How big is my God? Because you're going to be facing giants and you're going to have to ask yourself the question. How big is my God? Can my God handle what has happened to me? Can can my God handle what is coming my way? How big is my God? One of the things that we need to glean from this passage, all these themes, and this is what I want you to glean. This is, and to me, this is extraordinary, extraordinary. Many people would rather die in obscurity than attempt greatness. That's what I learned from this. Most people, from my experience, would rather die in obscurity, would rather just fall in the desert or just crawl up and make a little tent for themselves and live in bondage, live here instead of trying and living with all their hearts to get to the promised land. Most people would rather die in obscurity than attempt greatness. Look at Israel. They would rather die in the desert than attempt greatness and live in the promised land. Listen, if if. If God calls us, we need to follow. God is calling every single one of us. And we need to follow. We need to, we need to, we need to trust Him with all of our hearts. We need to allow ourselves to be used by Him. And once we allow ourselves to be used by Him, then we need to hang on for the ride of our lives. The reason that so many of our teenagers are walking away from the church when they graduate from high school is because there's no passion. There's there, no one's storming. No one's grabbing a sword. Not no one. Many people around them are not grabbing their swords and storming the mountain. There's no vision that we're saying we will accomplish this. And I know it's difficult. It sounds ridiculous that we're going to try to overcome this or that we're going to accomplish this as a church. But we are we are saying we're putting a stake in the ground and we're saying to our children, we are going to fight with all of our hearts to accomplish what God has called to us to accomplish and give them specifics. 
specific so they can look at us as adults and say this my my mother and my father and my pastor and my aunt and my uncle and my adult friends and all the people I've watched they live for God they're passionate about God they're zealous for God they're relentless for God this wasn't this was real my my faith is real I'm watching these people live this out. This is real stuff. They're they're calling out to God to make changes in their own lives and to change the world around them. This is real stuff. So if God calls you, we need to follow that call. And then we need to hang on for the ride of our lives. Each of us, okay, each of us, every single person here needs to pick a battle. Needs a call. What, what is your cause? What, ha, what is the cause that God has called you to? We need to pick a battle. What wrong is God expecting you to write? We, 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 we are talkers in this country. We talk about this. Well, this is ridiculous and this shouldn't happen. This is injustice and all these kinds of things. But God is saying, what wrong have I called you? Have I designed you to write? What battle do you need to pick? Each of us needs to pick a battle. If we pick a battle, our children will pick battles. We need to pick fights with the enemy. That's, that's our responsibility. We don't need to cower and wait for them to come to us. We need to take the fight to them. And our kids need to see us doing it on our knees, through our words, through our actions. We, 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 need, to cre- we, we, need, to, we need to create such a movement in our hearts that our children are swept up into it. Listen, you were not created by God to exist. You were not created by God to just exist, to live a mediocre life. You were created by God, each one of us, to live each day with relentless passion. You were not created just to exist, to live in the desert. You were created by God to live every single day with relentless passion for him. That is our goal. So I'm asking you again, what battle has God called you to fight? What cause has he called you to take up? And it may not be, take. I'm going to take on an entire country. I'm going to change all. No, one person. Maybe your battle is to invest in one person's life. There are people along my life's journey that have invested their lives into me. And they changed my life in so many ways. There are children in our classrooms who need a, a, a strong male figure or a strong female figure to come alongside them and support their parent or their parents and encourage them and let them know how special they are and how unique they are and how God's going to use them. And they'll hear your words. Maybe, maybe your cause is to invest in one child's life. One child, that's all, that's all we need to do. And when he shows us what that cause is, we need, we need to remember. We need to remember it is God's plan. It is God's plan. And he will use us to work out the details. Remember Joseph? Remember Joseph? It was God's plan and God used Joseph to work out the details. He used everyone in the entire story to work out his details. So if God calls you, realize it is his plan, no matter how scary it might be, it's his plan. And he will give you what you need to accomplish his plan and call on your life. See, we all have a choice. We, we, every single one of us has a choice to live out God's plan or to live in spiritual obscurity. 
I have a I have a choice. Jeff has a choice. Every single one of you in this room, you have a choice to live out God's plan or to live in spiritual obscurity in your life right now. Ask yourself, what am I choosing? What am I choosing? Are you comfortable with mediocrity or do you want more from your Christian life? Are you, aren't you tired of living in the desert? Aren't you tired of living in bondage? Aren't you tired of every time you make a step forward, you think, oh, I'm just going to go back to Egypt and it was, you know, I'll die there. I may not live what God calls me to live, but I'll just, I'm going to stay in Egypt. Aren't you, aren't you sick and tired? Aren't you totally uncomfortable with mediocrity? Don't, don't you ever have a desire to live out more in your Christian life? A passion to live out more in your Christian life? Doesn't your spirit ever cry out, I don't want, I, I, Lord, I want to face the giants. I want to seek them out. I don't want to hide from the giants. I want to seek them out. What I'm talking about there is not just waiting for the giants to come your way, but looking for the opportunity for the fight. Go pick a fight. Decide what it is. Decide. Decide what it is. What is the goal that I have to move from bondage to the promised land? Pick that goal. Pick that fight and then go after it. Pick a fight. Don't wait for the fight to come to you. You know, it's amazing. The armor of God. We talk about the armor of God. And I've told you this before. The armor of God, all the armor of God, okay, is it goes through the whole thing. Do you know the only do you know the only place a Christian is defenseless when it comes to the armor of God? It's back. So don't turn your back on the enemy. You move forward. When you move forward, you have all the weapons of God that you need. The only time you're vulnerable is if you turn your back. Don't turn your back. So I'm asking you, do you want to live in spiritual obscurity or do you want to attempt greatness? Doesn't your spirit ever cry out to God? I don't want to hide from the giants. I want to seek them out. I don't want to die in the desert. I want to live in the promised land. Lord, let me walk through the waters. Let me pass through the sea. Lord, let me face the armies. Let me face the Egyptian armies. Lord, Let me face the giants that I know are going to be in my path. Lord, let me stand up for you and have faith at work to stand for you at work. Let me take on the cause of the of the widows and the orphans. Lord, let me stand up for your truth, for your word at school. Lord, let me take up my cross daily and follow you. Isn't that isn't that something your heart ever cries out for? God, use me. Use me the way you use the people in your word. See, God delights in using people like us. He delights in that. He delights in using people, many people who other people think, ah, oh, well, they'd never, never amount to anything. They're never going to amount to anything anyway. Didn't you ever want to be more than people thought you were capable of being? Do more than they ever thought you were capable of doing? That's what we're talking about. That's the kind of faith. That's the kind of belief we're talking about. That's living. That's what it means to be a Christian. To say to God, God, I want to do more than I thought I was capable of doing. I want to be more than I thought I was capable of being. That's the spirit that we have to have. To step out for God and live for him every single day. God delights in using people like us. But then our giants start to scream back at us. They start to scream back. What makes you think you're, you're capable enough to do something that amazing or that powerful? They start to scream back at us. You're not, you're not strong enough. 
You're not capable of it. You're not smart enough. What makes you think that you're, what makes you think that the pastor is actually talking to you? He's talking to other people, but he's not talking to you. You remember the last time you stepped out? You just stay, you just stay where you are. It's safer there. You just stay where you are. Don't listen. Don't get all hyped up with this guy. He, he just rambling off at the mouth. Don't listen to him. He, you're, you're just gonna, you're gonna put yourself in a place where you're gonna be disappointed. It's gonna be miserable. You know the giants in which he speaks, and you know you can't take them on. You tried already. So why don't you just let everybody else do it? You take a back seat. You just hunker down. Yeah, he might have created you for more, but you've been through too much, Ray, so your time is done. And those are all just lies the enemy is going to be speaking into your mind, and they come from the pit of hell. They're lies that have been woven into our fabric, and every time we want to step forward and do something amazing for God, those lies come back up. Our giants start to speak to us. Our giants begin to whisper in our ears, those voices from the past. Your parents already told you you are stupid. Your teacher already kind of laid out your path, told you exactly what you never amount to anything. You've been through that abuse. You know you're, you're just worthless. What, what value do you have? That's what the enemy keeps saying. Those voices from the past keep coming back. And those failures, all oh, those failures, you, you know, you just stay where you are. Don't attempt anything more than where you are right now. You remember those failures from the past and your weaknesses. My goodness, should we even start counting your weaknesses? And the enemy is going to be talking to us and saying to us, stay where you are and your seats become like a bench. You're on the team, but really you're not getting in the game because you keep hearing those voices. And it's much safer just to stay on the bench. Someone told you you're not good enough, so you just stay on the bench. And from the bench, you can watch those who are not afraid, who are trying to overcome their fears, shine like stars in the sky for God, but not you. It's the person sitting next to you who can overcome, but... Not you. And those are the lies that you hear as we go through this journey. We need to realize that God is in control and that fear is the enemy and roadblock to fulfilling God's purpose purpose for our lives. When David faced Goliath, okay, David wasn't afraid of Goliath. You know why David wasn't afraid of Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 45 and 40 through 47 in that area? You know why David wasn't afraid of Goliath? Because David said to Goliath... I come at you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. God probably unleashed David's teenage kind of mouth on Goliath. I I can't prove this, but I'm sure David said things like, hey, you know what, Goliath? The biggest thing about you is your mouth. And I'm going to take you down. I'm going to cut your, he did say this, I'm going to cut your head off, okay? And why am I going to be able to do all this? Because the power of God in my life. It's not about me. It's about the power of God. It is not about you. It is about the power of God working through you. Are you capable of accomplishing everything that God has for you on your own? No, you're not. But you have us. And we have him. 
And so David wasn't afraid of the giants because David knew he wasn't going to be facing Goliath. God was going to be facing Goliath instead. We can't be afraid to follow God's call. We can't be afraid to change. We can't be afraid to take risks for God in our faith. In First Chronicles, I love this. I love this. In First Chronicles, chapter 11, verse 22, it says this. It says this. Benaiah, son of Joadah. A valiant fighter from Kabzeel performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. I love that. You know what it says? Listen to this. See, I want to perform great exploits. How about you? I want, I love that. He, he performed great exploits. I want to know what a great exploit is and I want to do it. I want to, not only did he go down and face a lion on a nice sunny day when it was all dry and everything, he went into a pit on a snowy day and killed the lion. He killed Moab's two strongest warriors, Benaiah, son of Joadah, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel. It did great exploits. We need to have that kind of heart to do great exploits. I want us to, here, let me give you an example of what we're going to do. I didn't say we're going to try to do, I said what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. 16, 17 years ago, we went to Nigeria and we were able to get land. And we took that land and we are building an economic zone on that land. And we're going to wipe out. And there's Kisiup A and Kisiup B. There are villages that we work with. Villages make up a tribe. Tribes are about 300,000 people. And what we're going to do is we're going to wipe out a pocket of poverty in a village in Kisiup. We're going to wipe out a pocket of poverty. We're going to build an economic zone so everyone there who wants a job, who wants to stand up and serve God, okay, who wants to feed their families and live the life that God has called them to live, we're going to create those opportunities and we're going to wipe out a pocket of poverty in Kisium. And then Kisium B, we're going to do the same thing. Villages make up a tribe. There are thousands of people. So we're going to wipe out pockets of poverty amongst a few thousand people. And then over time, we will wipe out pockets of poverty in village to village to village to village until we wipe out poverty in an entire tribe. And you say, well, that's just ridiculous. Really? If I, if I don't see that, if I don't sit under the seed of the tree I planted, I sit under the, the tree of the seed I planted, if I don't get to sit under the tree of the seed I planted, my son will. My daughters will. My grandchildren will, your children will, your grandchildren will. What we, the foundation we lay right now, let me tell you something. What I just described to you is a fact waiting to happen. We will accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. And if we take our sword and we die trying, okay, we will have accomplished much. And our children will pick that sword up and they will continue to take the fight. Let's slay, let's make their job a little easier. Let's go, let's go on the offense. Let's cut through the red tape. Let's pick fights with giants. Let's pick fights with the enemy. You know, you, you may know, you think you know me, and you do. Many of you know me very, very well. And you think you know what my gifts are, different areas of giftedness. I'm very limited in my giftedness, but I have some areas of giftedness. But the one area that God, the one thing that God has given me that I hold on to the most is that I am relentless. In order to stop me from doing what God has called me to do, you literally have to kill me. We need to be resilient. We need to have the attitude. Let me explain something to you. 
the enemy, demons, Satan, they're not God. They're not omniscient, okay? They're not all-knowing. They are not all-powerful. They run out of energy. If we decide as a church that we're going to accomplish something and we don't give up and we are resilient and we are relentless and we are passionate, guess who gives up first? Not us, the enemy. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I am a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a nation, a person belonging to God. I am a joint heir of Jesus Christ. I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Nothing can stop a whole load of us. The enemy scares us. You know what? The enemy should be scared. The frightened ones should be them, not us. Why? Because we walk in the steps of Jesus Christ. And he will carry us when he needs to carry us. He will give us strength when he needs to give us strength. My friends, we will accomplish all that God has called us to accomplish. If But first, but first, we need to start where we are right now and say, what areas of my life do I need to overcome so I can be the strongest warrior possible to accomplish what God has for us? This bigger, this bigger picture, what does God have for us and once we become stronger and we enter the promised land and God is using us and God is using us each one of us becomes more powerful and more powerful and more unstoppable and that is what God has called us to be we need to decide we you and I both need to decide are we going to we're going to die in obscurity or are we going to attempt greatness What is your greatest fear? Ask yourself what this morning, what is your greatest fear? And my question to you is, how are you going to overcome it? What is your greatest fear? What is holding you back? And how then what is your plan to overcome that fear? Figure it out, because unless you have a plan to overcome your fear, you will be tempted to follow the same pattern as the children of Israel and you will die in the desert. We need to have a plan to figure out how are we going to overcome our fears so that we accomplish all that God has for us. I guess I forgot to tell you this This is one thing I kind of left out. If you want to enter the promised land, you're going to have to take it by force. If you want to enter the promised land, you're going to have to take it by force. If you want to enter the promised land, you're going to have to take it by force. If you want to enter the promised land, if you want to become all that God has created you to be, you are going to have to take it by force. But we can because we are children of God. And greater is he that is in us and he that is in the world. And we are no longer slaves to fear. We may still fear, but we are walking toward deliverance. We are walking toward Jesus Christ. We are walking toward the one who will give us the strength and the power to accomplish all things. If we want to enter the promised land, my friends, we're going to have to take it by force. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this great time. Thank you for this great opportunity to come together and to serve you. Father, thank you for being a God who gives us all the strength that we need, everything that we need to to accomplish your call for our lives. And God, I pray that each one of us in our hearts would sing from the top of our our, our, from the top of our, our, our hearts, from our from the depths of our being, Lord God, that we are your children and we can accomplish all that you have for us. And we pray these things in Jesus precious and holy name. Amen.